Today we start a new series uh, from the book of Joshua and we've entitled it Be Strong and Courageous. We're going to work through um, this book chapter by chapter. Now if you know how many books are in this, how many chapters in this book, you'd think 24, that's a long series. We're not doing all 24. We're going to do the first 10 um, and some of those will be combined and then we're going to go to the very end of the, chap- um, the book and pick up the last two chapters there. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Joshua chapter 1, the sixth book in the Bible. So if you go through from the beginning of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll hit Joshua. If you get to Judges, you've gone a little bit too far. You can flick back a bit. Joshua is, is a great book of the Bible, a book of, of adventure, of intrigue, um, containing probably some of the most well-known stories, certainly in the Old Testament. It's one of my favourite books. I love the character of Joshua. Um, we named our first son Joshua, I think because of this book. Um, it's, it's a great book to be, be looking at. It's actually, so this, this chapter, these, this phrase that becomes part of some verses that we'll look at this morning is a life verse of Glenda and myself. It's a verse that we felt first felt God calling us into ministry um, some 30, 40 years ago. Um, so it's a significant book for us. As we unpack this book of Joshua, um, I don't want to think that we're just dealing with a, a book of ancient history, a book of exciting adventure. It's a book that boys usually enjoy as kids. Um, it's not even just a book about this amazing character called Joshua. This is a book about God. It's a story of the living God and his um, involvement in the nation of Israel through this person called Joshua, but a God who reveals his eternal purposes through some of the things that we're going to read about as we go through this book. It is all those other things about adventure and intrigue and, and a great story, but it's way more than that. It's a story about God. This is God's big story. Now, you'll hear me refer to that term a lot. I love this, to think of the Bible as God's big story. This is a book about God. That's all it is, really, a book about God. It's the story of God. It's the story of God's redemption through all of history, beginning at the very beginning, in creation, moving through the stories of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, looking at today, the judges, the kings, right through to the prophets. And then, then we get to the, the gospel, God's redemptive story revealed through Jesus. We're just celebrated through the early church into the future. It continues today, that story. We are part of God's big story. That's why we're here today. We're part of the story of God. In God's big story, there's only one character, and that character is God. Moses, Joshua, the other people that we read about, they're support actors, if you like, in the drama of God. The story is about God. And we are supporting characters in that story as well. We have a place in the story because God has redeemed us. We play our part in his story as we participate in that story of redemption with, the, with the others, with creation, with the world, with our community, 
with people we come into contact with. And that's why reading this story is so important. Why we want to unpack it, understand what it says to us. Not just a story in the past, but a story for today. We get to know God. We get to know who God is. We get to know how God works. We get to know his redemptive purposes. We get to know God's purposes for us as we serve him, as we walk with him, how he wants us to live, living in close uh, relationship with him. That's what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For in everything that was written in the past, what was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's why we read Joshua today. What is God's hope for us today? And we'll explore that as we go through these, um, these next eight weeks um, delving into this book to discover what it says about God as revealed in the story, as revealed in his interaction with this man called Joshua, but what it means for us today. You'll have seen in the, uh, the newsletter uh, last week on Friday that there was a link to a video. If you haven't seen that video, I really encourage you to check that out. This is a video by a group called The Bible Project, and they have put together as part of their um, resources um, um, introductions to all the books of the Bible. There's other stuff there as well, but very well done introductions to the books of the Bible. I'd encourage you to have a look at that. Go back to the news there to find where it is. Check that little button that says link here, check, or click here, and find that. If, you, if you've done that, that's great. If you haven't, please check it out. And then get to explore this website called The Bible Project. It's, it's, it's full of amazing stuff. It's free to download, free to watch. Um, so it would help you give a good overview of where we're going to be going over these next weeks. So let's read together um, Joshua 1, starting at verse 1. There we go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn it Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this big story about you. As we begin this exploration through this book about Joshua, Father, help us to see beyond the character, beyond the adventure, beyond the amazing things this book contains, to see that most amazing thing, you, in its pages, in its words. Help us to open our eyes and our ears to see you and what you want us to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the 6th of February 1952, the world was um, shocked to hear the news that King George VI was dead. His 27-year-old daughter Elizabeth became queen that day. This year marks the 70th anniversary, the, the jubilee of the longest reigning monarch in English history. A lady who has given stability and constancy to the people of particularly the UK, we're a bit more removed from some of that, but certainly for the people of the UK through these changing times over the last 70 years. Wars, um, the Suez Canal was one of the big ones in her early years of, of her um, reign. Terrorist attacks in London and around the UK, Brexit, um, COVID, all of that. The Queen has been there through all of that including 14 Prime Ministers in the UK and then add all the Commonwealth Prime Ministers, I don't know how many Australian um, Prime Ministers that she has been Queen of. Um, But she's been there for a long, long time, giving that stability that she has as her role as Queen. Since the 1960s, secret plans have been developed and are now um, sort of, I guess, in place. under the code name Operation London Bridge. And you will have probably heard about this, you've probably read all the reports as it got leaked to the press. These plans that will come into effect the very moment the Queen dies, all mapped out for the next, I think it's about a month of stuff that's going to happen or even beyond that. Um, very first thing, the Queen dies, the Queen's press secretary will contact the Prime Minister and advise him or her what has happened. Civil servants will then get on the phones and be calling all the officials around the country and the Commonwealth saying the words, London Bridge is down and they'll know what's happened. News will go out to all the governments of the Commonwealth and then the world will be told and simultaneously across all the, the net networks, media networks of the world. And at that time, at that moment when all the world is told, a footman will leave door of Buckingham Palace, walk across the gravel and attach to the gates of Buckingham Palace um, um, fence, whatever that border thing is called, um, a notice to say the Queen is dead. And at that moment also, all the the, um, royal websites will go black, there'll be one single screen and it will just have that same notice on their website. Radio stations around the UK, even down to radio stations in hospitals, will start playing sombre music from that moment. All planned, goes on and on, how they will deal with the death of Queen Elizabeth. Transitions from one leader to another. 
are always times of uncertainty. What sort of king, what sort of queen is this person going to be? What sort of prime minister, what sort of CEO of this business, what sort of lead pastor of a church? What are they going to be like? And that's especially true when that leader who has just gone has been there for a long time or has been highly respected, like the Queen, 70 years on the throne. What is it going to be like with her son, her child, with Charles? There's a period of uncertainty as this new leader settles into the role, takes on the responsibilities, um, familiarises themselves with what's going on, works out what the best way forward is. And this is the situation we have here in Joshua chapter 1. Moses is dead. The giant of a figure who for 40 years has been leading God's people out of slavery into this land or just about to go into this land that God has promised them. He's been Israel's leader, defender, provider, protector, mediator, always there always dependable, the man who actually spoke face to face with God. This man is gone. It's over. And the nation of Israel is in shock and in mourning. And God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. You are now leader. Now, Queen Elizabeth knew she was going to be queen one day when she was 10 years old, when her uncle, uh, King Edward VIII, I think it was, when he abdicated and her father suddenly was thrown into the role of king of the UK and, and the Commonwealth. For 16 years, Elizabeth had a chance to learn the role until her father passed away. That's not a long time compared to the 73 years that Charles has had to get ready for the role before him. Joshua knew too that one day he was going to become the leader of God's people, Moses' successor. He'd been trained. He'd been prepared for this moment for decades. We're first introduced to Joshua back in the days, the early days of the exodus from Egypt when he was just a young man. And just a few months after the Israelites had had escaped out of Egypt, uh, they came face to face with a a full-on attack from the Amalekites. And you'll find this story in Exodus chapter 17, just after God had had provided water for the people through the rock. You remember that God um, told Moses to go to this rock and water came out of the rock. And without any explanation in Scripture um, as to who Joshua is or what made him this person that Moses would choose, Moses appoints Joshua to select an army and to go and fight the Amalekites. This is a story, if you remember, when Moses is up on this mountain overseeing the battle and as he puts his hands up, suddenly the Israelites start to win the battle. As soon as his arms start to droop, the Israelites start to lose. And so he gets on this this mountain, sits on a rock, and he has Aaron on one side and this man called Hur, which we think might be Um, Aaron and Moses' brother-in-law, the the husband of Miriam, holding his hands up, one on each side of him, holding them up until the Israelites 
were victorious over this um, army of the Amalekites. If Joshua wasn't a military leader before, he certainly was now and moving forward through the, through the history of the, of the Israelites. We next meet Joshua in Exodus chapter 24 when he's described as Moses' aid or his assistant. And there he accompanies Moses up Mount Sinai, second time that Moses had been up there. All the, the leaders and the elders were told to stay behind. Uh, they chose Aaron and Ur again to make sure that any issues arose that they would be there to, be, um, to, to deal with that issue. And the pair headed up to the mountain where God appears to Moses um, in this cloud that, that covers this mountain. Now, we don't know if Joshua actually went up into that very upper place in the cloud with this very presence of God, but he was certainly very close to this self-revelation of God as God appeared to Moses on the mountain. And then Joshua appears a couple of other times throughout the book of Exodus, um, carrying out his, his role as an assistant to Moses. And then we come to this, this crucial story that I'm sure many of you will know, the story where God chooses 12 men to go into, the, into Canaan, this land across the river that God's going to provide for them, to check out the land, to make sure what it looks like before they, um, they cross the river. Joseph, um, Joshua was one of those men. And only Joshua and a man by the name of Caleb came back with a report that was favourable to take the land God had promised them. The other ten, the other ten spies came back and they said, look, this land is, is flowing with milk and honey. There are huge bunches of grapes. But there's also bunches of problems, massive problems. The, the people are, are powerful and fierce. The armies are well organised. The cities are all fortified. But not only that... There are giants in the land. There's no way we can go into this land. It's impossible. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, tried to encourage the people, let's trust God. Yes, there are these, these incredible obstacles before us, but God is with us. We can do this. Let's go. But the people didn't listen. They followed the advice of the other ten. And so God sent the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. They came that close. They had to go and wander in the desert for 40 years. The 10 spies who gave negative reports developed a plague or were affected by a plague and died. The rest of the people um, were wandering in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb got to go into the land when they eventually crossed the river. As Moses' life comes to an end, God tells him to go up to a mountain and gaze across the valley into this promised land, a land that Moses would not be allowed to go into, into because of things that he'd done previously, which we won't go into right now. But there, as Moses looks over this land, knowing his life is probably coming to an end, God tells Moses to appoint a successor. And he says in Numbers 27, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership and lay your hand on him. So Moses does as God commands, takes Joshua, has him stand before a priest uh, where Moses commissions him to lead God's people after Moses is uh, no longer there. 
And from this point on, until Moses dies, Joshua and the priest are always with Moses in every decision that's made um, in, in terms of leading the nation. Which brings us back to, or here, to Joshua chapter 1. All Joshua's years of training and preparation for this role that he has been given and no one was going to be his is over. Moses is now dead. And God says to him, Joshua, it's time to lead. It's time for you to take these people across the Jordan to the land I've promised. Now these words must have come to Joshua with that sense of excitement and anticipation that we sometimes feel when we're about to start something new, go into a, a, a new chapter of our lives, mixed with the same panic that we can sometimes have with what's ahead of us, that sense of, yes, this is going to be great, but oh, I don't know. Glenda and I recently purchased our first caravan. Uh, we grew up in caravanning families uh, in New Zealand and did it, have done a, a lot of camping and tents with our kids when they were younger. We feel a bit past tenting now. Um, we've never had a caravan. But we decided to get one so that we could explore Victoria a bit more than what we've done and get into other states and, and see a bit of Australia. The caravan was delivered to us. We didn't have a tow vehicle at the time. That's a whole other story. I'm happy to share that with you. We didn't have a car. Things happened faster than what we were planning. Um, and so they delivered the caravan to us um, at the beginning of this year in January. And we began this exciting thing of fitting it out. I had some time because I was between roles and uh, fitted the caravan out. We bought stuff. We started doing little modifications in the van. Um, and it was this anticipation of, yes, this is ours. We're going to be going away traveling. We spent a night in the van in our front yard. Um, <laughs> um, but there's a problem for me. I'd never backed a caravan in my life. And I began to panic. Um... I started reading up about it. I started watching videos, and the more I did that, the more I, thought, oh, I can't do this. Um, I woke up at night in terrors and sweating, thinking after I've been dreaming and doing all the movements you're supposed to do to get it up our driveway, which is not a hard driveway to get into at all. And the excitement of that potential adventure was overtaken by panic and dread. I don't, we've made a mistake. I don't want to do this. Was going through, Glenda was getting really frustrated with me. <laughs> she wasn't going to drive it, but anyway, that's another story. Anyway, a friend came around and he took me up and down our driveway, in and out of the, up the road and back again. I thought, yeah, I can do that. And then we went out to drove to the local community centre and we tried practice backing into parking lots. And I came away from that thinking, I think I can do this. And then we couldn't get away because of other things. Oh, COVID and other things that came along, um, eventually able to get away and um, had our shakedown trip, is what they call it, when you first take your van out for two nights in Warburton just after Easter. And I backed into the campsite pretty well, no issues, I think it was pretty much the first time backing in and then got home to our driveway and no cars in the road so we could back in okay and it was all, all fine. So now we're planning next trip and it's great. But first it was panic and there was dread at what was ahead of us. Now, we don't know if Joshua was panicking here. I kind of think he probably was thinking, what am I going to do? Um, 
maybe the sense of inadequacy of this enormous task that was before him was, was pretty real for him. Something was going on because we see God come straight in and start providing him encouragement, assurance with three promises. God promised Joshua to give them, the people of Israel, the land, verse 3 and 4, to overcome the enemies and to be with Joshua as he was with Moses. If we look back at those verses that are there, verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the west. That's the first promise. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. The second promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The third promise. So God is promising here two promises of provision, the first two, and the third one, the promise of um, God's presence. And that, I think, is the greatest promise of all these three, for Joshua and for us. God assures Joshua that he will never leave him. He will never desert him. He'll never let him go, never let him down. He will always be with him. He will always be there to guide him, to counsel him, to encourage him, to provide all of Joshua's needs just as he was with Moses. Could I remember that Joseph, Joshua, was um, not a person of superhuman strength. He was just an ordinary bloke like us who discovered through the nurturing of his family, through the mentoring of Moses, what it meant to know God, to walk with God, to follow God. He showed some promise as a leader, as a young man, certainly, but who was more importantly had developed this relationship with God, a strong faith, a trust in God, a God he'd seen rescue his people, journey with his people all those years in the wilderness and do amazing things. Dramatic escape from Egypt. The way God led them, looked after them, provided for them, protected them for the 40 years that they were in the desert. Now Joshua has been given a task, a huge task, an overwhelming task. And God needs to reassure him that he is with him. That he'll never leave him. That he'll always be with him just as he was with Moses. How many of us need that constant reminder that God is with us? I know I do. That reassurance is God, that God is with me when I'm about to venture into something new, something that is uncertain, a task that I feel totally inadequate for. When the option of closing the the door and retreating into my safe place rather than going down the path I know God's calling me, that assurance to know that God is with me. That's where we need these words that, Joshua, that God gives Joshua. As I was with, Josh, with Moses, sorry, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the verse that, or as it's 
added to in verse 9 that has been our constant encouragement and, um, and reminder to me and to us as a couple in the various challenges of ministry that comes along. Or maybe these words of Jesus to his followers before he was taken up into heaven, words that are for us today as they were for the early church, the followers. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a wonderful assurance to know that God is more committed to his people than we can ever be to him. Just just let that sink in for a minute. I'll say it again. God is more committed to his people than we can ever be to him. God promises to always be with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us, even when we're unfaithful, even when we let him down. So God gives Joshua three promises, two promises of provision, one promise of of, um, his presence, he will be with him. And then we come to this phrase, this exhortation, this, this command from God that God repeats to Joshua three times in these nine verses. Be strong and courageous. Actually, in one of those verses, verse seven, he says, be very strong. It's going to get pretty rough here. Be very strong, and, or very courageous rather. If you go down to the very end of the chapter, uh, verse 18, even the people say the same phrase to, to Joshua. And this is after Joshua has ordered the people to get ready, get things together. We're about to go into this, into this new land. Um, and they say to Joshua, whatever you say, Joshua, we'll do. We'll go where you send us. We'll follow you just like Moses, like we followed Moses. But Joshua, you've got to be strong and courageous. We need you to be strong and courageous because you are our new leader. So do you think Joshua got the message after all of this? Three times from God, once from the people. Do we need to be reminded to be strong and courageous? To not give up? and what might appear to be overwhelming obstacles before us? What are the fierce armies? What are the giants? What are the the fortified cities that are ahead of you as you look to what's ahead in your life? Those things that wake you up at night, that fill you with dread, things that you feel are way beyond what you can carry, what you can manage yourself. As a church, as we come out of of two years of COVID, hopefully this is behind us now, and and all the disruptions, all the upheaval, all the ways that this church has been impacted by what COVID has done. As you process the sudden departure of of two pastors and enter this period of of transition and, and unknown change, do you need God's reminder to be strong, to be courageous, to trust in his promise that he will always be with you. He will never let you down. That he will always provide for you. To not let the things around you distract from the purposes of God, from the joy of serving him, of following him. So how do we take this um, this, this, how, do, how do we take on board the, this, this um, 
strength or being strong and being courageous as, as we go forward. Well, certainly not from ourselves. Joshua, God did not say to Joshua, Joshua, get over yourself. Just get on with it. Pull yourself up and be a man. Can't say that. Be a person. Um, you, can, you can do it. He instructs Joshua from verse 7. Shows him where the source of his strength, where the source of his courage lies. It's found in immersing himself and following God's word. Immersing himself in and following God's word. Reading it, that's the, what the term, keeping it on your lips, um, is the term of reading God's word. Meditating on it day and night. Obeying what it says. This is what God's saying. You know, he's not saying to Joshua, Joshua, go now and shut yourself in your room and, and you meditate on my word 24-7. Not, not that. Joshua's got a job to do. He's got a, a nation to lead. He's got a, an army to mobilise. He's got a, a nation with all their possessions, massive group of people uh, and their livestock to move across this river and take the land that God's promised them. He's got battles to fight. He's got people to lead who are prone to grizzling and moaning and disobeying God every step of the way. By saying day and night, God's saying, God, I want my word to be on your mind. Nothing you do, no decision you make, no action you take without thinking what my word says. God's word is to be foremost in his mind taking into account God's direction, how God says he should act, how he should respond to each situation, aligning his mind with God. Remember these bracelets that were around a few years ago? What would Jesus do? Now, WDGWS doesn't have quite the same ring to WWJD, does it? What does God's word say? But it's like Joshua needed this bracelet to remind him, what does God's word say in this situation? How am I to act? How am I to think? How am I to respond? God's calling Joshua to have this mind of being constantly embedded in God's word. As one commentator puts it, for Joshua, this meant there was never to be a moment when the book of God is not in the driver's seat. I love that image. God's word in the driver's seat. We're a passenger, taking our direction, our leading from God's word. This is the same resource we have today when we're faced with spiritual battles, with challenges, with obstacles, with things that come up in our path, in our, in our, in our journey. The things that throw up in front of us. Except now we don't just have the book of law, the first five books of the Bible, we have the entire word of God. As we seek to be the people God calls us to be, God calls us to follow his word, being obedient to him, totally devoted to him, totally obedient to what he says to us, immersing ourselves in his word, reading it, mulling over it, remembering it, obeying it, Letting it influence our minds, our words, our actions, all that we are. So Joshua is with his fellow Israelites on the banks of the Jordan. The armies are across the river and they may be powerful. 
The cities may look impregnable. The task ahead looks impossible. But God says to him, Joshua, I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. Just be obedient to my word. And he says, mission impossible. doesn't say these words. Mission impossible will become mission possible. The rest of this chapter, if you're not going to read it this morning, if you want to just go through the rest of chapter 1, it's all about Joshua getting the people together, getting provisions, getting people organised, working out strategies and plans as they take this land that's ahead of them. Let's get ready. It's time to cross the river. We may not know what's on the other side. We don't even know how we're going to cross the river. We may not know exactly what we find once we get there. We may not be sure how God is going to give us victory over all these big cities. But one thing we know, one thing we can be sure of, God is with us. He's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. So let's go. Imagine those words of Joshua to the people. Faith doesn't give up to fear and doesn't give up, no matter what's ahead. Faith watches, faith prays. Lord, help me, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the resources for what's ahead of me. I can't do this. Give me courage, give me your courage, give me your strength to help me in this time of need. We can move forward into whatever is ahead of us because Christ gives us the strength. Christ will take us where he wants us to be. All we have to do is trust him and follow his word, obey him. As Paul reminds the church in Philippi, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you call us uh, to a life of, of faith and obedience. We know we need courage for an unseen future. We know we need strength for whatever might be ahead of us. Thank you, Father, for your promise that you will be with us on this journey. No matter how uncertain, no matter how dark that may be or may become. We hold on today to your promise that you are with us, that you will be with us, that you will never leave us. We're not in this on our own. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be diligent in immersing ourselves in your word, getting to know you and your story, finding our place in your story. Let your word fill our minds, control our thoughts, and direct our actions. Help us go forward into tomorrow, in full dependence on you, strong and courageous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.